open up in prayer. Lord, I thank you again for allowing us to gather in this place, uh, that we could spend time in fellowship with one another, that we could spend time, uh, awesome time in the classes this afternoon, uh, digging into your word, uh, sharing with one another the, the truth of your word and, and, and just encouraging one another uh, through your word. I thank you for that, that you've given us that um, as, a, as a gift in the church that we, can, uh, that we can share life with one another in such a way that it would encourage us and grow us uh, so that as we go out into this week that we will be energized and refreshed and renewed and, and set on paths uh, that you have placed us on for your glory and your name's sake. Uh, Lord, as we get into the text tonight, um, we are now in chapter 9, uh, and we are beyond waist deep. We may be neck deep, or we may be, uh, Lord, sometimes I feel as I look at this text that I may be in over my head. Um, this text that we're looking at tonight uh, is... Uh, just continuing a thought that, that seems to be getting more and more difficult and m- maybe more and more uh, uncomfortable to, to think about and consider. Uh, but I would ask that your Holy Spirit would move in among us tonight, that uh, you would give us a spirit of comfort, uh, that we would know, one, that you are a, a good God, that we would know, two, that your character is unchanging that who you are you have always been and that God is a good God Lord we want to say to you thank you for being who you are as we dig into these passages of text like what we're going to find here in scripture tonight I I would ask that you would help us to always be mindful no matter what we uh, no matter what we see that we would never question a God who would send his son to die on a cross uh, for those who uh, would be the very ones driving the nails, uh, who we would be the very ones gambling at his feet for his clothing as he is bearing all on the cross for us. Lord, I, I pray that we would never step into the, into the uh, area where we question you and your character. Also, let us never question uh, your love for those even who have rejected you. Um, you are a loving God. And I just pray that you would, by the power and mercy of your Holy Spirit, as we dig into these difficult passages of text tonight, that you would guide us through them with wisdom, uh, with respect, Lord, um, with perspective. Lord, this text tonight for me... Um, humbles, uh, humbles me and where I stand compared to you and where you stand. Let us understand that you see things clearer than we. Lord, guide us now as we dig into this text for your glory, for your name's sake. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 9 again, just kind of digging on through um, question before we get started. Would it be too much trouble if we scooched to the centers? Uh, most everybody over here scooched to the center. Could I, could I ask, sco- so that way I can kind of stand in this area and get an eye on everybody, and I want to kind of feel out the crowd tonight, if possible, as we're digging through what could be, for me, one of the more difficult passages of text to wrestle with in my mind and to contend with in my spirit, right? So I want to be able to kind of keep an eye on y'all um, so, that, so that I know that you're with me in this, right? So I don't want us to get this far and then you fall off by the wayside, right? Um, so we're going to be in Romans chapter 9. We're going to be starting with verse 19 and we're going to be pressing on through verse 24. Before we do that, um, because like I say, we are, we are at, at the very least neck deep into what is a very, very difficult section of Scripture tonight. If you are with us for the first time tonight, um, I would ask that you would come back in spite of the difficulty of the text that we're digging into tonight. Um, 
one thing I think that, that uh, we here at Mount Carmel pride ourselves on is we love all of Scripture and we will not uh, dodge any of it at all. So I want us to kind of dive into uh, these difficult questions tonight. Uh, the first thing that I want us to do is I want us to remind ourselves what we looked at in the opening chapter of uh, in in the opening of chapter nine, where we considered Paul's sincere, ongoing hurt for who? For the lost, specifically, he's dealing with. This issue where Israel seems to have fallen by the wayside and now the church is stepping forward to the kind of the forefront and he's wrestling and wanting to wrestle with brothers, the, his brothers, the Jews here who would question, has God left his people? Like, like if you think the gospel is going to last, what kind of God would leave his people, right? Like why do the Jews not believe in Christ? Like this is a big question that Paul's contending with in this. So in this, when we see Paul opening in the way that he opens with this deep desire for his brothers, this deep anguish in his heart for his brothers to come to Christ, the thing that I want us to kind of anchor in on one side is understanding that, that, that God cares more than man cares, right? That the heart of God is not burdened less than the heart of man whom God himself called out to preach his word. Right? So anchored on one side of this is, is that understanding that God in fact loves more than man could ever love. And we see this most clearly that he has sent Christ on the cross for us. Now as Paul is on one side, burdened for his brothers. He's wrestling in his mind and in his spirit with this truth, evident truth, that they have, by and large, rejected the Savior that they should have been coming up to with open arms. So he's saying, why? And he's dealing with this by showing that this is not the first time that this thing has happened. So he's showing us a couple of examples in the early scripture that he's saying this kind of things happened before. And then last week we get into scriptures like where we look in verse 15 where he says to Moses, for I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then he goes on and to deal with Pharaoh for this very purpose I have raised you up. So he shows us one that it's his decision to show mercy. And I want us to understand as believers that this is critical. This is why we call mercy mercy, right? Mercy is not something you're owed. That would be a debt, right? God is indebted to no man. So his mercy is given freely, not indebted to the lost. And one example that I would give for this, and I'll keep kind of waving that flag, is look at the example of the angels. The angels who fail, does God need save them? Do they have a Redeemer, church? The angels who have fallen. No. Is God unfair in this? In no way. God need save none to retain his goodness and his mercy and his character. I want us to understand that so that we can get a deeper understanding that when God gave mercy to us in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross, that this was not owed to us. So we should rejoice in the giver of life. Right? So I want us to understand that, that mercy comes from God. And then here he deals with Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whoever, on whoever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. And if you were here last week, I, I, I would just like to refresh your mind a little bit, considering the dynamic on how I believe Scripture makes clear this hardening working as God is giving over to who you are, right? 
So that you, and this is why I believe it's so critical and important that we understand who we are as believers and what, or who we are as human beings before Christ. And what it means for us to be born into sin, right? This idea that the culture would tell you that you are innately good is a lie. The Bible says you do not seek God. What is a person who does not seek God? Could we call that person good? When the one good thing, the best thing to have would be what? God Himself. And yet we reject Him wholeheartedly. We want to call that good. And and what Scripture says is no, 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 no. From birth. You are sinners. David says, in in sin my mother conceived me. Right. So understanding who we are, what we are from birth, in need of a Savior, not owed a Savior. God's mercy even in the softening of our hearts so that we would understand and believe the preached Word. And then here we find where the drawing back or the abandoning that happens to Pharaoh is just. God is not unjust. He is not unkind. He is not unmerciful. But it is God who shows mercy and it is God who hardens. It is He who does it. Right? This is what Scripture, I want us to look at this text again, 18. So it is, so then He has mercy on whomever He wills, and He hardens whomever He wills. This is a, a direct reading of the text. This is not Landon making things up. And I, and I hope that in the way that I preach through the book of Romans, that, that if I were to have skipped over something important up to this point, you'd be like, you'd have come up to me afterwards and been like, Landon, I think you should have pointed this particular thing out. But I, I pray that I've done a, a good enough job in staying true to what the Scripture itself is leading us to, that we would see that the logical question then that we would ask. And I say we because we still struggle and wrestle with the flesh. All right? The logical question that we would ask comes next. And that's what we're going to look at in Scripture tonight. So with this idea in mind that it is, and we're dealing here, like a lot of times when we deal with this passage of text, what, we're, what we want to quickly go to is man's freedom. But what we are dealing with in this text tonight is God's freedom. Right? We are dealing with God's freedom. You today, if you believe on the name of Christ, believe on the name of Christ because God was free in sending Him to you. Right? And He could have held back. Ask the fallen angels about that. He owes us nothing. Church, He owes us nothing. So then, verse 19, we come... To this text. Before we do, before we do, I want to kind of put to rest some of your concerns over freedom. One, I would say your freedoms are diminished by who you are. You decide and choose out of who you are. But I don't want you to believe yourselves puppets. So I want to say this first. I want to present this first so that you're comfortable that Landon's not up here preaching to you that you are puppets being manipulated in everything that you do by some grand puppet master. Christ was man, true? Fully man? In every way. Was he free? You should say yes. You should say yes a hundred times over. Yes, Christ was free in the truest sense. More free than you or I could ever know. Because we sold into bondage from birth. Needing this one free man, truly free man to save us. But I want you to get this. That he saves you not to make you puppets. Because who did he become in the flesh but a man? 
And he is God and he is man. Fully both. The two not intermingled. So he is man and he is free. And he has come to set us free. Do y'all follow me in that? I, I hope that you're, when you think about who we are and who Christ has come to make us and lead us into, that you do not think it's puppets. And that you do not think that I think that you are puppets. Because God has come to set you free from the puppet master of sin. So that you could be free indeed in Christ. Are we together now? Before we step on in, to some difficult scripture. I want us to at least be together there. Right? And when I think, and when I wrestle with this, because I want to be honest with you, when I read this scripture, I'm like, Lord, I, like I'm humbled by it, and I, I'm blown away by it, and I'm, I'm somewhat frightened by it, and there's things that I need to hold on to along the way so that I can try to make sense of this. One of those things is that Christ came in the flesh like me. So though I may be still sinful because I was born into sin, there will be a day that I will walk free. You, each and every one of you who believe in Christ, will walk free in glory. Right? The only thing, you're, you're on your way there now as you struggle with the flesh that you were still born into, but He's going to give us new bodies. Right? This is the hope of the resurrection. I hope in all of this that I'm kind of shoring up your hope for the resurrection. Right? I hope that y'all are following along with me. You all seem to be looking this direction. Um, so I think you are. So with all of that in mind, I want us to start stepping in to where what Paul has said about God's freedom would cause our flesh to ask certain questions. And to me, this passage of text is what in my mind when I consider it, I consider it the puppet master text. Right? This is when I think in my mind, the one place in Scripture where I get a little nervous, when I get a little scared, when I get a little like, Lord, what does that mean? Like, how does that play out? This is it. Right? This is it. So I want us to walk through this, knowing who Christ is, knowing what Christ has done, knowing that ultimately we as believers, free in Him, before that, bound and slaved to ourselves in sin. I, I want to say that a couple of different times because I think we need to understand that slavery to sin is a real thing. And we must have God set us free from that. Otherwise, for eternity, what would we be? The lost in hell for eternity, what will they be? Will they be freed from their slavery to sin in hell? No. No, for eternity, the lost are in that state of slavery to sin. We, the redeemed, have been set free. And I, and I want us to get that. I want us to understand that as we dig in. You will say then to me. So again, like I mentioned last week, the logical train of thought that Paul sees here is what he's about to present next, right? So you will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will. And I want to ask you the question, who can resist the will of God? No. If God so desired, He can impose His will in any way He pleases. Aren't you so glad that the character of God is unchanging? Aren't you so glad that He is eternally good, eternally kind, eternally merciful? Is God good in all that He does, church? Is it, I, I say this in some way to set you up for the next couple of verses. Because I want you to think about this. Is God good in everything that He does? Yes. Would we say yes? What if God decided to show His wrath? Would He still be good? Would he still be good? And, and that leads us. I want us. So I want us to look in this text. And we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that question. But the first thing that I want us to see is, he says, why does he still find fault for who can resist his will? And then Paul answers, starts by answering in verse 20 this question. And I don't want us to overlook words. I think words are important. I think the way he's placed them in here are important. So I want us to spend some time on the opening of 21st. But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? 
two things that we can see in this, I think, straight away. Who we are, who he is. Right? Who are you? Puppet? You, you puppet? No. Christ was what? Who hung on the cross? A man. Who was God? Hung on the cross. Who are you? Oh, man. He is God and man. We are but man. And who are you, oh, man, to answer back to God? So a couple of things that I see in this text that I want you all to read along with me in there. One, oh, man, who you are. We see who we are. We also see what we do. Right? What do we do? What do we do in the flesh every day? Every time we run into problems, every time we run into things that aren't going our way, what is our nature before Christ to do? And, and, and I say nature before Christ because we should be growing out of this. We question God every single time. Do we not? Every single time something difficult comes up, every single time something comes up that it seems not to be, or what, what do we do? Why, God? What do we do? And this is why I say like, and I've said it a couple of sermons back, that if I had to choose between my freedom and his, I would choose his every time because I know me way too well. I know me way too well. I don't think that we have to do that, but if I was given the choice, I'm picking him. And I'm picking his freedom. I'm picking the freedom of the potter over mine every time because I know me, church. You know you enough to know that when you get here, you need to be humbled. You need, because that's where you go when we start thinking about a God who's in control. We start thinking about the control that we thought we had that we're apparently now giving up to Him. But I want you to, I want you to know all along He was the one in control. Right? All along. You're just now coming to realize that the God who created these things, the God who created all things, the God who breathed life into you, the God who you today, your heart is beating in your chest and will not beat one beat more than He says go. He is in control. And what Scripture says is that God's doing things His way. And when it comes in conflict with the way that we think He should be doing it, we need to be humbled. And, and that's why as I come to this text, I want to be humbled by it. I want to know that my view of the way that the world should be is limited. I'm down here and He's up there, right? I see dimly and He sees perfectly clear. I am but a man. He is God. I did not say I want to be born on this day. And I can't say I won't die on this day. Because He is God. Who are we? Who are we? Where do we find our identity? Who do we think we are to question? And the reason that this is so humbling to me, the reason that this hits home so quickly, is because what we do, we who are sinners from birth, saved only by His mercy and His grace, we immediately question who He is and His motives and His character. Like, that's the first thing that happens. Right? When we read, that, I want you all to be like, straight up honest, as you dig through this, is it not... Is Paul not hitting the nail on the head here? Like, who are you? Like, I want us to be there. Right? Like, who am I to think that God's doing it wrong? Like, look at my history. Right? Look at how many times I've failed. Look at your history. Look at how many times you've failed. You really think that you've got a better perspective on the way the whole thing should be laid out than the God who knew the end from the beginning? Oh, let us not be fools. Let us not be fools. And, and he, goes, he goes further. Well, what is molded? Say to the molder, 
why have you made me like this? Do, do you know that the way you look, the way you move, the way you breathe, everything about you, he wrote in your genes. And we look around and I know how hard it is not to be, like, if, if, if I did not look and say gluttony was a sin in God's word, I would be an absolute glut. Right? And I look around and I see what, what seems to be fallen people, right? Like, y'all are good looking. Like, don't give me, y'all, if, I, if y'all ask me personally, I'm be like, yes, Shane, you are beautiful. <laughs> if you ask me in person. <laughs> but I look in the mirror and I see me, and this is not anything amazing to look at, right? So I'm like, could you have done better, Lord? What I want us to see is that Scripture says that He made you. He is the potter. You are the clay. And this is in every way. For what end? His glory in the exaltation of Christ. If you weren't hearing some past ones, this is one of the kind of the themes that we've been kind of plugging in along the way here. I want us to flip, and I want you to flip with me. This is just to, to kind of get us thinking about maybe ways that we wouldn't think about this otherwise. Flip to Je- John chapter 9. We're not going to have time to go into all the context, and we're not going to have time to read into everything in this chapter. We're just going to look at the opening of it. And I want to point a couple of things out. So every place that you're broken, every place that you get sick, every place that you may have been born blind, the potter made you for his glory. Chapter 9 of the book of John, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So they present two options. They present here that his parents sinned, and because of their sin, the defect came. And then they present another option, that God, seeing who he would be, made him blind because of some sin that he had not yet committed. And what does Christ say? about this man who the potter formed. Jesus answered. Now, what could he have said? I want us, before we get to what he did say, what could he have said? What would have been a valid thing to say? Well, guys, the fall happened. And when the fall happened, death happened. And as death plays out, genetic anomalies come up. He just happened to get one poor guy born blind. Like, he could, have, he could have invoked the fall here. But what does he do? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This man blind from birth. Not because of his parents, not because of him, but because of God. Go ahead and y'all read homework in your off time. See that after this day, this man was not questioning that. He was not questioning both that his good came from it and God's glory came from it. So I want us to understand that God has formed us for what purpose? His purposes, His glory, that His name might be made great. Right? His name. This scripture is in chapter 9 of Romans is dealing with God's will, God's freedom, God's choices. He is the potter. Verse 21, so uh, let's step back into the last part of 20 there. Well, what does molded say to the molder? Why have you made me like this? And I'll say, yeah, you're sinful. You're going to ask that right away, 
right? And, and our sinfulness needs to be lined up with Scripture. And what Scripture says is that God made you for His glory. God made you for His glory. The potter is shaping, forming for His name's sake. Has the potter no right over the clay? And I want us to sit and think about this for a moment. If I were to take this verse completely out of the context of this scripture, and you did not know that I was asking this question in the middle of chapter 9, and I say to you, Russ, has the potter freedom, has he right over the clay? He does. Who in here would say contrary to this? And taking it out of you, you know what chain of events has caused us to be getting to here. How many of us would say, no, the clay has right over the potter? Has, has the clay right over the potter? Would it even make sense if I claimed that? Whose value is more? The potter? Maybe? Okay, so, so if I were to bring in here a picture, and this picture was of the Mona Lisa, and, and I said to you, this is a replica of the Mona Lisa. And I said, I'm going to sell it for a million dollars. How many of you think that I would get a million dollars from a replica? What if instead I came in with the Mona Lisa. One, the police is probably going to be close behind, right? Because I would have had to stole that thing. <laughs> and y'all know why the, the police would be close behind. Why? There's value, but why is there value? Because of the one who made it, right? So us, in our deriving of value, we have value because of who made us, right? What I want us to see in all of this is the perspective. You are a man. He is God. He is the potter. You are the clay. Your value comes from the potter. Period. Has the potter no right over the clay? So I want us to ask ourselves this question you being the clay has the potter no right over you has he no right over you like here's here's what here's what i want to say the day that you die whether it be a gruesome death or whether you die an old 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 maid at like 170 years old the day that you end here in this life Will you be able to stand before him and say, I needed one more? Or, why did I struggle with the last ten? When you stand before the potter as the clay, will you raise the same questions to him that you raise when you read the book teaching you about him? No. Why? Because you'll see Him and you won't have to be told your place. You will know your place. That He is in control. And you won't say, I'm leaving now. You won't, you won't get to hell and get together with all the other haters of God and say, we're going to rush heaven. We got more numbers than them, guys. Come on, let's do it. Why? Because you will submit to His will. You will see the mercy that He had on you through this life as you squandered it to let you breathe, to give you days. Who's in control? The clay or the potter? Whose will be done? When Christ, when Christ prayed, whose will be done? Yet what do we want? 
don't we want it so, I mean, we want it so much. And he is so gentle with us. Believers, if you are a believer in here today, can you testify to the fact that he was much more gentle with you in bringing you in line than he need be? So let us not in this question the character of the potter. Can y'all follow me here? There is a lot in this text that we don't know because we are here, not there. Because when we get there, we will see with clearer eyes to what he was doing here. So that in those places where we were brought up question or accusation about the goodness, the kindness, the mercy of who God is, when we step forward there, we will see that the potter was good, just, kind. And that when he showed his wrath, he was free to show his wrath. Is all that God does good. For eternity. I want y'all to follow me. For eternity. Hell. And hell is not hell. Hell is not hell because God said close the door. We're dealing with it no more. Hell is the eternal outpouring of the wrath of God made for Satan and the demons who did not get a Savior. Who the fallen mankind that we are, if we reject Him, we don't go to hell solely for the rejection of Him. We go to hell because we are sinners. The lost who die in other countries that have not heard the name of Christ and you say it wouldn't be fair because they hadn't heard about Jesus. It will be perfectly fair because they are sinners in the hands of a very angry God. How angry? That to spare you, Christ, on a cross, angry. Y'all follow me? Are y'all, are y'all with me here? Maybe when we step forward into eternity, we know what that little lie meant compared to the glory of God. We know what that little glance meant. We know what that little, I'll depend on me, meant. Maybe when we get there, we won't see a smaller God. We'll see how big our sin was. In afflicting Him. To where now we, we, we look at it from this perspective and we see the wrath of God being poured out, and we want to question His character, when we step forward there, I, I imagine that we will look back and say He was much more merciful than He need be. So what if? Verse 21, Who has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What is this coming from? Where's the thought process coming here? What's he doing? Mercy to who he shows mercy? Hardening to who he shows hardening? Leading to the question, who can resist God's will? Leading to the reply, has the potter no right over the clay? to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use. Has he not the right? You answer me. Yes. Is God not free? Yes. Who will he have done wrong? When he says, Satan, come here. Have you considered Job? And Satan does. His thing. After God pointed him out. For what end? For what end? For what end? For God's glory. But Satan acted in this. Freely. In this. And he will be punished eternally.
foreign. Eternally foreign. Has the potter, who, who made Satan? God. If you, if you believe that, if you believe that Satan is co-eternal, if you believe that Satan is co-omniscient or all-powerful, then you got a very distorted view of who Satan is. No, Satan was created. Satan and his cohorts fell. No mercy, no grace given to them in a Redeemer. Yet here they are, going to and fro all the while, whose will ultimately plays out in this whose glory ultimately will be had in this. Has the potter no right over the clay? Has the potter no right over the clay? Who are we to question the potter? Who are we to question his motives? When we can see most clearly the motives that he has on the cross. Has the potter no freedom? Yes, indeed, the potter has freedom. And he acts in accordance with his character, which is what? Good, perfect, holy, jealous. Is it, is it wrathful against sin and sinners? Is all that God does good? If he shows his wrath against sinners, is that good? Verse 22. What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of of mercy, which He has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. I wanted to go ahead, we're going to look at a couple of things there, but I wanted to go ahead and read through the whole little run there so that we can see that the end is for what? God's glory. And how is He going to do that? By both having mercy... And showing wrath. Do we see that in the text? So I want us to have a, a big picture. And this is why I think understanding what heaven is going to look like and what it's not going to look like as far as like, you know, it's probably not going to look like a church service. It's probably going to look more like the garden. Except he turns a garden into a city. Right? Like we see a city come down from heaven. Right? Who builds cities? The man. The man, right? And I say the man, like we build cities, but who are we talking about? Christ, the man, like I want us to get a bigger picture of heaven, a bigger picture of glory, and I want you to know, I want you to think about that this world will not be forgotten, right? God need not wipe your memory to make you stop crying. He need only let you see more clearly what He sees. Church, He sees all. All that is eternally in his mind, he learns no new thing. Do we get that? That when we say that God is all-knowing, that he's known always. So if God can, could he give us that kind of view? Bigger views is what we should hope for, church. Bigger views of who God is. Bigger views of what he has done and is continuing to do here. Not wiping away and forgetting. Because if God wiped your memory, He could never wipe His own. He could, could He make Himself not all-knowing? How foolish a thought. I think instead what we'll find is that from there, our perspectives are broadened. Where when we look at these things here and now, and we wrestle difficultly, Paul here, in what God is doing, is wrestling with this. Right? This is why he's burdened, because he doesn't see it as clearly as he will. He doesn't see it as clearly as God sees it. 
This is why we, when we come into a passage of text or a run of text of Scripture like 9, 10, 11, why we wrestle so much with it we don't see as clearly. So instead of saying God's character must be off if He's doing this, what I want us to say instead is there must be something that I don't see from my perspective because I am but a man. I am but the clay. I trust in a God who's holy. I trust in a God who's all good, who's all merciful. And what I know about this good, merciful God is that His Son died on a cross. Like, all of these things, though difficult to wrestle with and contend with, all of these things are non-contradictory. Right? So in those places where we question and wrestle, let's continue questioning and wrestling. Let us continue knowing Him more throughout our lives, but let's not question His character. Let's not question who He is or what He's doing because He is good. What if God desiring to show His wrath, where did He show His wrath? In the immediate context. We're dealing with Pharaoh, correct? So I, want, I can think myself of about a hundred different ways that God could have done that whole thing. Alright, Moses, go get my people. When you go in, the people of Egypt, they're going to fall into a deep sleep. Now there's a good, good couple dozen of you. Right, y'all, that was supposed to be a joke because it was more than a dozen. Y'all need to brush up on y'all's Old Testament scripture. <laughs> or wake up. <laughs> Alright, there was quite a number of them. I'm going to put the Egyptians to sleep. You'll just slip out the back door. They're going to wake up. They're going to be like, where did the Egyptians go? Or where did the Israelites go? Could he have done it like that? He just said, Moses, go on in there. You're going to turn that stick into a serpent. It's going to bite Pharaoh on the foot. He's going to die that night. The people are going to be so scared that they're going to send y'all packing and they're going to give y'all gold and they're going to give y'all plenty of you know, animals to take with y'all so y'all don't get hungry while y'all wandering in the wilderness. There's a, a, a multitude of ways that he could have done it. How did he do it? He poured his wrath out on them. Could you go to him and be like, you know, you, you, probably, you probably should have stopped at plague number three. I mean, I mean, Lord, the scripture says you hardened. Just lighten up a little bit, dude. Like, just back off. God showed his wrath to make his name known. Right? People washed away. People died here because God's wrath poured out. Paul bringing Pharaoh up is saying to these people, what's happening now in the falling away, God's hardening, God showing wrath, God doing this thing. He's free to do this. You didn't question when God was doing it then. You didn't question it then because it was, it kind of worked out for you. It'll, do, you, do you think that the gospel could not be preached to a Jew after this? No. No, the gospel is preached still. Paul's preaching to the Gentiles trying to make Jews jealous. Right? But God's doing something here that's beyond our view. This, as I dig into this scripture, far beyond my capabilities to fully grasp at. So I, I, I can only read the text. Right? And this is why I try to do my best to stick close to it. And I want to say, has the potter no right over the clay? Yes, he does have right over the clay. Yes, he does have right over the clay. What if God desiring to show his wrath? And I say, what if? If God desires to show his wrath, how many of us in here will stand before him after he shows his wrath? Do you think Pharaoh stood before him or will stand before him and be like, dude, you were not fair at all there? Do you think? Do you think there will be one on the day of judgment that will be like, you were not fair with me? Not one. Not a single one. His justice and mercy and kindness will not be in question on that day. I want us to understand that clearly. So if he shows his wrath, you're not going to question him for showing his wrath. And if he chooses to show his power, what will happen? 
his power might just be shown. If he so wills, who will stand against him? In all of this, I want us to get that. We're coming out of chapter 8 for this, right? This potter has redeemed his people. We're getting into this scripture so we can get and stand firmly on who's standing against us, right? Who's standing against the potter when he can just push the clay over and it will be broken and shattered. So when you fear, you're in the potter's hands, church. So that the gospel can go out in ways that it could not have gone out had this not have been the truth. If Satan could, in fact, get the upper hand on God, then you, I could not be in a week sure that me going and preaching in Honduras would be effective at all. But I can go, and as fearful as I'm going to be to try to speak in Spanish, I'm going to do it, because I know he is the potter. And he has redeemed me for what reason? Lord, I'm, I still don't see it yet. Right? Like, I, I don't know why or what you're doing, but... You are free. And what does Paul say of himself? I am a slave of who? Christ. The man who is free. More free than any of us could imagine now as we wrestle day to day with our sins. So desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. He didn't do it in an untimely fashion. He didn't do it too soon. He wasn't too harsh. The punishment always fits the crime with the just God. He is patient with us. He was so patient with me. And I think every one of you would echo that truth if you believe in Christ. He was so patient with you. He gave you so many times that he need not. Yet how quickly we question the potter in his freedom. In order to make known the riches of his glory, do you know, church, do you understand that in glory, because God worked in the way that he did, you will know him richer, deeper, more fully than you ever would have known. The angels who did not fall will sing praises to God's name because of what he has done among us. Do you get that? Do you get that? that they, they do not sing a song about a Redeemer like you and I and you and I sing a song about a Redeemer because they do not know what it is like to be hopeless and then a Savior come of His will. They know God better because of what He's done. They see Him more fully because of what he's done. When we step forward in glory, the wrath that he has shown here, in the ways that he has shown it, we will not question. We will praise him. Because he is good. He is just. He is merciful. When he shows wrath, he is very patient upon those whom his wrath is destined for. And I want you to know this. If you are here tonight, you want a hellfire message? If you are here tonight and you do not accept the work that Christ has done for you, the wrath of God may be your eternal end. But the offer of the gospel has been laid out through nine chapters, eight chapters leading up to chapter nine. And we are unrolling this gospel even now. He is not unjust. He is kind. We will see the riches of His glory in all that He has done. There will be not one thing evil that took place that we will not there in time see and give glory. Do you understand the hope that the gospel brings to us? Those places that seem to make no sense to us now, wrestle with them because there you will give glory to Him. 
Because you will see the truth of a God who is good, whose character is just, who is kind in all that He does, who shows mercy, who shows wrath, and you will praise Him for the riches of His glory, for who He is has been shown to us, though we did not deserve it. He shown it to us as vessels of mercy. If you believe on the name of Christ, do you know who you are? You're a vessel of mercy. Look around you at what he's doing. Take note. When you cry tears for the pain that happens, know there that he wipes them away and he doesn't have to make you forget about them to do it. He's that big. He's that great. The plan that he's working out is that good, that right, that perfect. So that you will see him and know him in ways that you never could have had it been any other way. He's chosen the right way. He's set the right plan in motion. Where we might have done it different, he's done it right. Every time. Every time. Let's not question that. I want us to look at two things here. It says in this part, verse 23, He has prepared beforehand for glory. Now I want us to use this to look back for a moment, to look into the end of chapter 9, verse 22, where it says, He endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared beforehand for destruction. And I want us to see here the lacking of the word He, and yet for the vessels of mercy, what do we find? He prepared. How did He prepare? When you get to Him in glory, His name will be the name that you sing. Because He is the one who has done the work. He is the one who has prepared the way. He is the only way. And He has done each and everything. And He calls you to Himself through the preached Word of God. He prepared you. He prepared you. But as you sit and you harden, and you hate, you are preparing yourself for destruction. He's prepared through the working of Christ for His glory and Christ's exaltation. Even us. Man, Even us, verse 24. And I see myself there. And I'm not a Jew. And as I reflect on this, and I think, what had he not hardened the Jews? What had not the Jews rejected their Savior? God would not have been God because he prophesied. And the prophecies would have fallen short. There would be no hope for us, for true life, for true freedom, because a Savior would have never come. The price would have never been paid. We'd be no better off than the angels who had fallen. Yet even to us, whom He has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. And what I want us to see here, and we're going to end here and pick up next week, is that what God has done here in the hardening of the Jews made way for us. He made way for us. The gospel is for all people. It is a hope to be preached to all people in every nation, in every tribe, in every people group. Every time. And you may think that you are going to retire and sit on your porch and wave at your neighbors, but he may very well call you somewhere else. And when it's his will, what will be the end? His glory. Let's pray. Lord, I... I thank you for who for who you are. So 
so often. I elevate my own desires over your own. Lord, you were you were gentle with us even still. Lord, if I ever question if I ever question your character, then I've mu- I must have become blinded to my own. Lord, what I need, I need you. Lord, we are all in need of you. Lord, set us free in Christ. Set us free in Christ. Send us off in Christ for your glory. May his name be lifted high. And if there is not a place that it is lifted high, Lord, here we are. Here I am. Send me.